Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Hey everyone, welcome you back to the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. Uh, on the podcast today, we're going to sit down and chat with a outdoors personality. He has Moment of Truth TV on Wild TV. We sit down with Mitchell Payment to discuss what it's like to be kind of engaged in the outdoor media side of things, developing your own TV show and how that all started. But uh, before we get started, I'm sitting here with uh, April Willis across the microphone from me. April, how are you doing t- tonight? Good. How are you? Oh, not bad. We're we're a little later into evening here than we first anticipated. Yeah, but that's (laughs) all good. Um, It's been a a busy spring here. We're into summer already, so I can't believe the time's flying. Um, It's just been busy all around here. But what's been uh, keeping you going on your end there? Uh, Kind of a little bit of everything. I got a lot of uh, in in my daily real life uh, work is winding down for the year so I work for 4-H Manitoba so we have a lot of achievements right now it's kind of their their big show at the end of the year so we're doing quite a bit of that right now um some fishing trips on the weekend you know heading out some different places trying some you know loved kind of lakes that I my heart kind of lies in and then you know always going down to the local pond for uh, evening fish and and then getting ready, I, I get really antsy. Um, I'm getting ready for a deer season already. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not there yet, but I'm glad someone is, that someone's considering scouting this early, things like this. Have you had any luck fishing? Has there been any success? Yeah, we've had some good, you know, walleye fishing has been good this year for, for us over here. Pelican Lake has been treating us pretty well. Um, but I feel like things are like water starting to warm up with the weather. And so I'm kind of starting to give that a rest and we've done some, uh, bass fishing. We had that, uh, kayak tournament, the, I'm not even going to try to say the whole name because for whatever reason at the moment it escapes me, but there's a kayak group from Western Canada that does a tournament trail and they have tournaments all over BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. And so Manitoba was, this was their first year ever hosting one in Manitoba. Mm. So that was on the 24th of June and we were up in the ducks bass fishing. And so it was, it was fun. It was really nice to meet some very just chill tournament anglers. These, these people, this group, they it seems like and i could be wrong but it seems like they just sort of like take a few weeks off or the summer off and they just like head to all these different places that they're having Mm -hmm. tournaments and they started in the ducks and then she had said uh, denise had said she's like we have five days to get to the next place and so they just like pick lakes along the way and they just make their way to the next tournament stop and like camp and kayak fish all together and they just have a grand old time so is this like continuous then? Is this like they're 
they have when they say five days they have five days to paddle to the next spot is that no oh no as in so our tournament in the ducks was the 24th and then the next weekend so the uh the july 1st weekend they had a tournament at the next place and so they pack up camp and they decide like oh we're gonna go to lake xyz that's halfway there and we're going to camp there overnight and we're going to fish that the next day. And then we're going to pack up and we're going to move to the next lake and we're going to fish there. And then they're, so they make their way to the next place. Mm. Watch out bass masters. Yeah. The kayak people are coming. Um, <laughs> I should make fun though. I feel like kayak fishing is, has this like upshoot, like folks are, I'm seeing, seeing it online everywhere now. Like people seem to be getting in kayaks and fishing you, you tried it out. What do you, what did you think of it? Uh, I in I had a really great time, but I don't think kayak fishing is for me. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I I'm very impatient, and I get I can get worked up very easily, and so I find with it's funny. Like I get worked up really easily, but I'm also I find I can calm down quickly, and I'm super resourceful and things like that but you're sitting in this kayak and like I feel like I'm rocking around and then my paddle's in the way and then something gets tangled and the wind is pushing me and just everything like all of these things that I don't want happening are happening and Mm. I get real mad and so there are some people that have very amazing kayaks that that I'm sure that I heard the number approximately fifteen thousand dollars worth of accessories and items including the kayak and these people are not having issues with swaying around uh they're like potentially falling out of their kayak their paddles being in the way like these are cool rigs and um, i'm just like i don't think uh i don't if i had fifteen thousand dollars today i don't think it'd be going to a, a fancy kayak unfortunately but if i did and if i was going to buy one of those i think my woes would probably all be dealt with (laughs) yeah yeah i'm sure gear makes a big did anyone have an outboard on the back of their kayak or is that not a thing no the this trail was uh manpower only oh geez okay yeah i'm out um (laughs) (laughs) they did have some sweet pedal rigs though yeah 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 that was cool yeah those look sweet there's they're like zipping by you're paddling as fast as you can go and they're just zipping by you yeah uh, I give the kayak people a hard time, but it does seem like a, like a kind of different, not only a different way to fish, but like, uh, maybe like a less ecologically impactful way to, to fish as well too. You're not mm-hmm. shooting your exhaust into the, into yeah. the lake and you're probably not disturbing as much of the, the lake as well, I'd imagine. So, mm-hmm. and I think like, you don't need a $15,000 kayak set up to kayak fish, right? Like my kayak's like a thousand bucks. Yeah. No, no. I don't have anything fancy. No, you need a, what you need to fish is an $80,000 Lund with the (laughs) $3,000 optics. Don't you know, April? (laughs) I wish I had that. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, I, I was out fishing a couple of weeks back to uh, spring fishing, late spring fishing, uh, big white shell, which is in like the white shell provincial park for folks that aren't in in manitoba and so it's like one of the larger lakes in that park um but it's it's still a pretty shallow lake and so the water temperature was already up towards the end of june and so i did not connect with the fish i was hoping to uh we did find a few walleye uh few pike but 
I had brought out several new rods that I, or I should say new. They were new in the sense that like I had these rods lying around for a while. They were, they were good, good rods. I had like this Okuma, which I was going to use for trolling and like a St. Croix that was like a really sensitive jigging rod. And I just got an new reels for them and so sean and harvester actually helped me out back at christmas time or was it christmas or my birthday i can't even remember now i think it was my birthday and hooked me up with uh you know a new big casting reel for this trolling rod well this is my first time using it this year and i'm not sure if you're familiar with rod lockers on boats but i guess i had left a couple of these rods hanging over the edge of the rod locker and Mm. the lid (laughs) slams down and well that's that's maybe the fastest way I've figured out how to delete a couple rods. Yeah. I thought I handled the situation well, but if you talk to folks that were there, apparently <laughs> not talking for two hours is not a, a smooth response to snapping oh. your two rods in half. Um, well, I have a good story for you then about a gentleman, and I will not name names um, just to to save the person um i know a gentleman who went fishing and obviously went fishing and had purchased a bait caster for the first time thought it would be a really great idea did some practicing in like flat ground learning how to use it takes it out on the lake tosses the first cast completely nests the whole thing yeah proceeds to throw it in the lake oh geez so Okay, well, I could, yeah. I feel, <laughs> I feel like maybe I should go look for that rod now that I think about it. I, I think I know where it is. Yeah, because I'm down one right now. He's been there two. for a while, though. I'm down two, actually. Oh. And uh, yeah, I heard the crunch and I was just like, oh, man. And so my immediate response is going to be to scream and throw the rods in the water, which, but. I went away from that. So I'm proud of myself, but yeah, there's still some self-work that needs to go on around <laughs> anger management and, <laughs> and fishing. Um, but I do think I'm going to have to waltz my way back down to Harvester there and see what Sean's got left. I, I know Sean's still uh, blowing out fishing tackle. It was like 50% off at the store last time I was there. Mm-hmm. And he's still got the screaming hot deal on minnows there at five bucks a tub. So um, I do want to encourage folks, Harvester is a supporter of the podcast. Go check out Harvester Outdoors if you're around Selkirk. Um, not only that, they have all your commercial fishing needs kind of um, taken care of there too. Sean distributes all the way across uh, Canada for that. But uh, he's got the recreational stuff um, at a really, really cheap rate. So that that's worth checking in on. And then um, I did hear that he's potentially getting in deeper to the the hunting games so keep your eyes open for some stuff coming up in the fall here um if you're looking for outdoor gear for your fall planning uh be sure to touch base with harvester outdoors in selkirk the other thing i was going to ask you you mentioned scouting april was it scouting or you're you're out poking around in the bush (laughs) i feel like i'm always scouting yeah i feel like shed hunting is like scouting like the season is like busted up into all of these potential scouting you know, like a series of seasons. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm impatient. So I'm already, I, I've had cameras out for a month at least now already. Someone posted a picture of a, like a decent, like some nice antler growth there on the, was that you or Brennan there? That was Brennan. That, that was, yeah, that's one of my cameras. 
<laughs> He's hijacking your pictures. Yeah, yeah. He, I I had said that I had gone and checked one of the cameras. I've got uh, four, three or four out right now, and uh, said that I had checked like the close, you know, the closer one that was sort of easy on the field, and the rest of them are like back in the middle of nowhere. So I had pulled that camera in, and there was there's tons because it's a field, right? So there's tons and tons of does and and young bucks and stuff like that. And I sent him that picture, and he goes and he posts it right away. <laughs> Man, He's come on, selling it on the river. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I my target. Been... That's my target buck for the year now. Just yeah, so you're it's, aware, it's on my property, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I've been very busy doing that, and actually, like cutting trails already so you know um have been kind of paying attention to places that i had maybe found uh, good antlers in the you know past couple of years and then i do a little bit more focusing on that i also use so you know we have uh the iHunter app and brennan and i both have it and i've got quite a few maps and so throughout my travels in the spring when i start shed hunting i will drop waypoints to all of the places that i find good sheds and then i'll pay attention to you know any kind of um patterns that i find with that and then i've started scouting some new areas and watching the satellite imaging on there and trying to make some uh better better decisions about where I'm going to be putting cameras, where I'm going to potentially put stands or blinds or anything like that. Like there's been a lot of years where I've just tossed stuff out willy nilly because I see some deer and I don't want to work too hard, but I'm getting a little bit more strategic about that. So I've been using iHunter to a make sure that I'm staying within uh, property. I've got permission on some really good mm. property, but I have to be careful about lines because it just sometimes the people out here don't have uh, fences between different mm -hmm. properties and it's just big bush. So I've come into, you know, contact with some issues like that before and, and just trying to just trying to be, you know, uh, um, respectful of property lines and people's people's property. So I've been, you know, using using iHunter a lot for that and making sure I'm in the area, but then also cross checking with my waypoints and then what I do is I create a waypoint for all of my cameras so that if I forget, cause that has happened before and I've mm -hmm. been in an area the next year and been like, whose camera is that? And I'll go and I'll like, I'll check it. If I see a camera, I'll go check it. And uh, mm -hmm. I'll just see like, you know, if it has a name on it or a number on it or something like that. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> so now to, you know, get away from that and to keep track of everything that I'm doing, I've been using the waypointing system on iHunter to kind of keep track of that. And I'll even number. So my cameras have my name and then they're numbered on them. And I will number my waypoints in correspondence to my cameras. Mm -hmm. so that I can find everything later on. Mm. And then so, you know, you know that that waypoint matches. Yeah. That camera. That I and so then I can go cuz you can like search, you can search your names and things like that so I can go back and search everything and make sure that I'm picking up everything at the end of the season or stuff like that. I have also during shed season when I find a really good trail, I will waypoint and and my waypoint will be something crazy like possible tree stand possible blind area oh yeah just weird stuff like that oh yeah so, that's fun to go look back and you're like why is this waypoint over here in the bush <laughs> yeah i don't know if you've used this feature yet but you can attach photos to your waypoints too so sometimes if i do that with like the 
a possible blind waypoint. Like I got a picture of my where you would my, put it. Yeah. So yeah. It's like, this is what I'm looking at. So when I come back here in six months, I don't forget why I thought this was a good blind location. <laughs> why that one tree might've been a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I've totally. only, I've only used that once, but I do know, yeah, the feature that you're talking about. Do you have a favorite icon in the, in the waypoint library? We were talking about oh. icons a little, a little earlier. I don't know. There's that's, so many. Um, that's a bit of a niche question, but yeah. yeah, I was using the flags a lot in the winter just for the, I would use them for ice ridge crossings on, on Lake Winnipeg, just because the, the ice ridges are so, the crossings can be few and far between, especially if you fish until dark and you get stuck out there, you could be driving around in circles for a little mm -hmm. while. So, mm -hmm. and the I've... ice ridges don't show up on maps, right? So, or like on oh, yeah. topo maps, right? So, right. I don't know. I think I th I would say that my most used icons uh, would probably be the white tail head, mm. the the white tail head, the the um, what's the the, the platform blind? Oh yeah. Like in, in your icon section, the very first icon is the tent, and then it's the next one. It's like a platform or like a blind on stilts. Yeah. So the blind on stilts, the mushroom, the deer head. Oh. And then the camera, because all my cameras are the camera, yeah. potential, potential blinds or potential tree stands or anything. I always just end up using that blind. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm obviously when I'm mushroom hunting all spring and that I use the mushrooms. Those so. are the, I'm going to have to hack your eye under accountant. <laughs> no, don't. I've get got the some, get the like, mushroom spots. I got some secrets. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And we could probably talk about iHunter all night, but um, we're glad that they're uh, they're back on. And if you want to check them out, you can check them out on the web at iHunterApp.com. Um, one of the best ways to just get them is to get the app on your phone. Um, mm -hmm. Each province has its own app. Uh, we use, obviously, the iHunter Manitoba app, but each province has kind of its own, own app there that's specific to it in the app stores for either Google or Apple. Um, and I was just checking out the the app today and they're constantly updating their landowner map um, sections yeah. here in Manitoba. So that's good to see that those maps are uh, kept up to date and that we can access like the latest and greatest on the, the mm -hmm. landowner info. So good to have iHunter back and uh, looking forward. We will. We never stop using them. So we're, we're always got that on our, on our phone, on the go. On to Mitch here. Uh, you weren't in on this one, April, but Mitch was like, Sheldon and I were chatting about it after the podcast and he's like, gotta be one of the most down to earth fellas that we've, we've had on the show. Um, just super humble and grateful for all his opportunities. So I think that that'll shine through really clear in the podcast here, but it was, it was so great to connect with an outdoor personality that like just lived and read that and it, it you know when people start with that as their center and then they, they're able to go and find success and whether it's the, the the content creation realm or the in mitch's case here mitchell he's uh on on wild tv doing doing a show like you got to be happy for their success and, and being able to bring that to the table so um, we were pretty grateful for mitchell taking his time and, and coming on the podcast here but yeah if there's if uh else on your end maybe we can welcome mitch to the podcast and uh hope everyone enjoys
Well, today's guest is uh, somebody that I met at the Yorkton Outdoor Show. And although I've been talking about it for the last, I don't know, six episodes <laughs> going to this show, I finally went. I met this cool, cool cat at the Outdoor Show. So I asked him to jump on the podcast and he was uh, very nice to say yes. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Mitchell Payment. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Glad <laughs> right to be on, on here. Yeah. Um, overall, before we get into the five burning questions, what do you think of the Outdoor Show? What, like, uh, Was that your first time there at the Yorkton one? Yeah, so that was our, my first time there in about four years. I went quite a few years ago, made the trip, and I was super impressed then. And just to see the growth of it and uh, where it's come, it's such an, a great, it's probably one of my favorite shows I've ever been to. Um, just the atmosphere, the people, the camaraderie, and uh, just the whole environment's really great. So it was a great weekend, a lot of fun, and really enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, it was awesome. You weren't at the bar when that guy got stabbed, were you? <laughs> No, no, we were back at uh, Windy Acres there oh, having yeah. a couple cocktails, but I, I heard the story. That's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. All right, let's get into the five burning questions. I'll start off. I got a couple. Tristan, you got a couple for Mitchell as well? I do. I do. Right on. So Mitchell, my first question for you, I ask everyone this because it's interesting. I love food, but if you had one last meal um, on this earth, what would it be? What would you have to drink with it? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, one last meal. I'd say a nice, uh, a nice juicy steak, preferably off a nice moose. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What would you wash it down with? Probably a cold Coors. <laughs> right on. Right on. My uh, second question, I call it fuck you money, but if you ever like came across a bunch of money where you uh, can just blow it on like a toy or something like that, like what would you, what would you buy yourself? Oof, that's so easy. Um, some real good hunting land. I'd buy probably a section, nice, uh, nice food plots. It all set up for just an unbelievable hunting camp and uh, have all the toys to go along with it. And then maybe some on the lake too and uh, do some fishing and hunting. Just call her just, quits there. Just give her. I said one toy, you said about eight. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, my third question is, is, uh, hunting um being outdoors all that other stuff do you have like a dream like vacation or dream hunt that you'd like to go on um you know what i really like the general hunts that we do but one dream hunt i'd say is probably new zealand i, I wouldn't mind going and whacking me a stag they look like an unbelievable animal to chase what would you take for a uh, weapon of choice to go on that hunt oh my prime bow for sure i'm nice. a bow hunter at heart right on Tristan, you got a couple more questions there? Sure do. What's uh, Mitchell, what's one thing that, that scares you or spooks you a bit? Jeez, um, that's that's another good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Grizzly bear? Walking into yeah. the black bear bait and having a grizzly bear running down the cut lane at me? For sure. I thought maybe you were going to say uh, grizzly bear management policies, but uh, grizzly bear itself <laughs> yeah. is, is just fine too. Both. And then what's, uh, what's on the Spotify or what's on the Apple itunes whatever you use Ooh, i'm a i'm just uh always listening to country music so i'm a big morgan wall and luke combs fan i have been for like you know five six seven years kind of even before they really exploded but uh i really like 90s country as well so nice. you you're like the third or fourth person that's done the 90s country it's a west thing tristan is, uh, well is it i don't know one of them i was, think so no both of them are from here manitoba but i guess western manitoba yeah 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 i just it's the music that i grew up uh in my chat like childhood listening to and it just kind of brings me back and uh 
gives me a good warm fuzzy feeling yeah a good uh, like alan jackson 90s alan jackson song always gets me going oh yeah yeah, yeah. Well, right on. You made it through the five burning questions. You did very well, by the way. Um, sometimes we get into these questions and it might take 45 minutes. Sometimes we get into them and it takes a minute. So uh, it was a good yeah. average, I think. So, um, but like how we start off a lot of, a lot to all of our conversations. And I mean, you've probably talked about it throughout your career, but um, I, I like for our listeners and for myself, I want to know like how it all got started for you. I, um, you know, I've been following you for quite a bit. You started uh, doing the hunting, you know, you grabbed a, an older camera or video camera with your dad you started filming in uh like high school or junior high or whatever it may be how did that like where did you even get that passion from were you watching your dad growing up hunting or where did that all come from yeah so it started at a really young age i mean uh, my dad would take me out hunting we kind of started waterfowl hunting that's kind of where our roots were and my dad and grandpa and uncle that's pretty much they're mostly waterfowl hunters they did the odd big game hunt but it was definitely, um, that was second in command. And just growing up, being in the outdoors, I just grew a passion for hunting. And uh, <laughs> before I'd go to school every morning, I'd throw in uh, either like an old Jim Shockey DVD or I had a bunch of Primo's um, Truth About Hunting DVDs um, that I'd just go to wholesale sports and buy. So I cycled through the DVDs. I watched a ton of hunting videos on there. And uh, kind of that's where my passion for, I guess, watching hunting began and uh and then you know youtube comes along and there's a lot of content on there and you know dad and i are like hey why don't we just go and buy a camera and try it ourselves and didn't really think much of it um so that's what we did went to best buy bought a little video camera and uh, started filming and it actually worked out to the point where the first time we went out filming for big game animal a beautiful buck came by and my dad actually forgot to record and we didn't get on film. And uh, after that, we just really put a lot of time into it. And uh, we really narrowed down on, we got to get this on film so we can re not only, um, you know, just share the video on a YouTube channel that I started, which was Alberta Outdoors Kid at the time. And uh, more so just to relive the moment too and show our family and um, kind of be able to re-experience that moment so that's kind of where it all began is we just started filming for fun and we were on youtube and the natural progression off youtube um, we'd watch wild tv and we'd see shows on there so we uh contacted a show and said you know we got some pretty good footage and would, are you looking for pro staff and it worked out where we got onto the boneyard and um we're doing well like it, it, we as hunt as hunters we learned a lot and we were improving on the animals we were harvesting and we were getting them on film and it started to really come together where it's to the point you know like we could probably make a run at this and hunting television it's it's a really hard avenue to break into um it's just you got to get good footage that viewers want to see um and then you got to build uh, a fan base or a viewership base to pretty much sell the sponsors to try to fund doing the show because there's expenses to it. Um, so, you know, anything good takes time. We dove right into it, went right out of high school. I uh, started our own show, Moment of Truth TV. And, uh, you know, I had edited a bit when I was a kid, but I really, you know, I watched so many YouTube videos. I've watched so much hunting content that I kind of learned how to edit myself and put things together. And obviously when I go back and watch the first season, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's hard to watch. But 
um, like, like I said, anything good takes time and you learn over the years. And now we're going into our seventh season airing this fall and we're filming our eighth season. And, um, our goal has been just to improve each year. We've been able to meet some really great people, make some amazing contacts and, um, grow something where we, um, have something to sell to our advertisers to help pay for it. And, uh, you know, when we go to these shows like the Edmonton Mountain Sportsman Show and the Yorkton Parkland Show, I mean, it's just so incredible to talk to our viewers that come by and it's just really neat to be able to talk to them. And they, they said they've been watching for a long time because we've been, I've been on national television for 10 years now. So a lot of people are like, oh, we watched you grow up. And, you know, it's really cool to see and share hunting stories. And it's um, grown in something that's almost like my baby. It's like I value it so much because it's so much work has been put into it and uh, it took a lot of time to get where, where it is now. And definitely by no means, um, I, we still have a lot of hopes and dreams to keep going. And there's pressure that comes with hunting and filming to get uh, animals on film. And, you know, uh, I really like chasing trophy animals and trying to capture that on film. So yeah, um, yeah that's kind of where we're at and how it's all evolved. You know, before we started Panoramic, I had this like, kind of like vision I'm like oh, i'm gonna start filming some hunts and you know the youtube thing and i was with my cousin and we had uh we're moose hunting uh with the, with the archery equipment and we got we kind of got into the uh, there's a there's a two two small bulls and a cow and we snuck up in on them we um you know got a, a nice shooting lane he's in front of me i got the camera i you know open it like it's like one of those old panasonics i open up the little thing to like get recording he ups and shoots and smokes it and we're like pumped and you know everything and then we go back and look and i forgot to hit record so uh yeah. you know it shit like that happens, happens. <laughs> it's like it's the most nerve-wracking thing I, every time we shoot an animal i look at that i'm like did you get it like, look <laughs> the red lights on it's like yes it's a good feeling because nice. it's uh it's definitely um i used to stress about it but now it's just it's um i really like that element of it it adds to the hunt not only are you trying to you know go out there successfully harvest an animal but we're going out successfully trying to harvest an animal on film and try to tell a story and it's just uh it's actually an aspect of the hunt that i really look forward to i used to stress about it because i'm like well i want it to be so perfect but the best thing is just to naturally go with it and uh you know just go with the flow and it seems to all come together at the end of the day so not something to stress about it's but yeah it definitely happens where you can double punch or forget to hit record we've done both <laughs> yeah um but yeah like talking about kind of like you're up and coming uh into the outdoor industry when it comes to like videography or uh, like content creator whatever you want to call it when you first started like was this something that you and you and your dad were like hey if we can put together like did you have a goal like we're like let's do five years or what, whatever it may look like. And the reason why I ask you this is because when we started uh, the podcast, like we had some, we got some really good advice from a lot of people throughout the last few years here. And, you know, like some of the advice that's always stuck out to me was like, if there's one person listening or a million, it doesn't matter. Somebody's listening. And the other piece of advice I got was like, just keep doing it because you're not going to be good at the start. And you listen to our first 30 podcast <laughs> episodes and you're like, Holy man, who are these guys? Right. And people are probably still saying that. So like what, what did that look like when you like decide, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put up, put all the, you know, irons in the fire for this. That's a great question. And just to add to what you're saying there, I totally agree. Like longevity is huge. 
Um, cause it, it, anything, when it comes to building something up, um, of course you can get a lucky break and maybe, um, gain a bunch of viewership or gain attention from, uh, something that will go viral. But most right. of the time it just takes a lot of time. And for us, when we came into it, um, our main goal was just to produce good content. So go out there, try to film the best we can. It doesn't matter how many people are watching. And uh, like for us right now, our main network that we get our most viewership on is Wild TV. And we're lucky to be on there and get out to a certain audience. But whereas if you're on YouTube, it's really hard. Like unless you get in that algorithm, um, it, you don't really get out there. And I feel like what we've done is just trying to produce the best content we can um, produce relatable stuff that I feel like people might enjoy watching and just keep going with it. Um, I mean, the first couple of years, I don't even, it's, we didn't have ratings and we weren't sure how many people were watching. And that's where it's nice to go to the, um, some outdoor shows and you kind of get feedback there and you get feedback on social media, but definitely just the goal is to produce content that we feel like would be enjoyable to people and just keep rolling with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then my kind of my follow up question. So my so here's a little backstory. My my Do dad, I get he, to talk to this podcast? I'm just curious. No, no, no. You just, you just okay, tell me okay. when I'm you just stop here. Talking. I'm just here to look. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll ask you a question. Um, <laughs> but my 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 old man, he had a business when I was growing up. So I had to like work with him and like do my part, or whatever. And there's one thing that I really I found out when I was younger, like 15, 16, 17 years old, that I could never work with my dad. How did you guys make that relationship work with when it comes to not only working together with family, but like running a business? Like, has that been a struggle or, or you, I mean, you don't have to get into it, but I mean, there's yeah. gotta be some, sometimes. Yeah, no, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like, I mean, um, growing up, my dad's been my best friend growing up all the way till now. And uh, we have a really good relationship. And I, I mean, if you, we spend every day together in the fall, we hunt every day almost. So of course, when you're with someone um, for long periods of time, you'll get into arguments, you'll get annoyed of each other a bit, but it's not to the point where it's beginning to fight or anything. Um, you know, it's, we always just keep it light and, you know, we try to have fun with it. Um, hunting is our passion. It's something we really enjoy. So for adding, we do like, there's obviously a bit of pressure to produce, but if you add too much pressure, I mean, then you could bunt heads, but we've always been just it's actually been really good i mean we've had our moments where everyone argues a bit and you know but i'd say for the most part no it's been great and as far as the business side goes i mean there's nothing there that we uh, jive really well and kind of um my dad's recently retired from his job so he you know he helps out a lot with uh, on the business side and of course the filming side and uh does some hunting himself but no it's 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 been good so i mean it just i guess it would depend on your relationship and how you work together and i mean yeah. I, we seem to drive quite well so okay tristan it's oh, all you oh thanks thanks for giving me the green light sheldon i appreciate that communication you're welcome just, <laughs> um mitchell i was wondering like you you described a bit of an evolution there of how your your videography and and the product grew itself um, I was just curious, like, what were those like early days of YouTube? Like, cause I, we, we've talked to a few different folks who've kind of started similar way to you, like picked up the camera, just started creating content to get it out there. But, uh, it seemed like even like the social media slash YouTube scene, the, the video, what are the, the, the video media world has, has like transformed quite rapidly over the past 10 years or so. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, 
I, our, like our main viewership is on, uh, you know, the television network, but as far as, um, I guess, web shows and uh, YouTube has come along when we started, I mean, it was more so just putting out content for fun and the videos actually did quite well because people were, I feel like it was relatable and it was just, uh, we were, I was just throwing it together with some random music, throwing it on there. And I had no intentions of it doing anything it was more so just for me like I think I watched our first video I think most of the views were me re-watching it uh, <laughs> and just re-enjoying the hunt but uh, yeah and then it kind of just evolved and it didn't I didn't really think about making it obviously it was a dream to make a career of it but it wasn't really a thought until we just decided to go for it I mean it's a typically hunting television it's an older demographic it's people that are you know a bit later on in life whether they've worked their um you know a normal job saved up enough money started to show and then kind of built it up from there and for me i was fortunate with my parents support and just living at home at a high school and having very low expenses i was able to start it and uh otherwise i would have never been able to make a go of it and now it's become my full-time job but i mean it took seven years to build up to something it's not something that happens all the time and mm -hmm. like you said the evolution of uh of where it where it's viewed i mean i i think tv is going to be around for quite a while still because i still like flicking on the channel and watching it but that on-demand stuff is definitely huge too but it is really over um it's really concentrated with a lot of uh, like there's a million YouTube channels when it comes to hunting. So it's hard to uh, stick out from the rest. And YouTube's a thing where you got to almost post weekly to build up, to get on the algorithm, to have um, a popping channel, I guess you could say a happening channel, whereas it's tough to do both. Um, we mm -hmm. always just post our, our episodes to YouTube after they air and it's hard to uh, kind of do both, you know, but I mean, at some point it might, there's probably going to be, um, like web shows are going to be the way to go, but TV mm -hmm. is right as it is right now is uh, the ratings are, are good. There's still lots of viewership there. And, and my dream would be to get on into the U S just because it's a huge market and mm -hmm. there's a lot of shows, but there is a lot of, uh, you need a lot of financial backing for that. Mm -hmm. I, ju I just remember too, like pre algorithm and lots of folks have shared this kind of sentiment too, is that people were engaging with content more naturally. And now somehow like the, the algorithms really skewed with how people engage with that content. So I remember some creators were like, Hey, we used to have like this YouTube thing down pat. And then all of a sudden the al algorithm shifted. And now they're like, so things like posting once a week seem really important now all of a sudden like do you have do you have any other like kind of insights like that that we get lots of questions too of like how how would you start something like you know you you obviously had a bit of a an idea around just doing something for fun regularly but like what folks who are seriously like looking at maybe taking a bit of a, a step like you did there like what what would you say to them yeah absolutely i i totally agree ever since the algorithms kind of came along I, it's it's funny to say, but the videos that I produced when I was 12 years old and posted got more views than some of our, our content now. And I feel like our contents come leap and bounds. So it's kind of, it can be, uh, it can be frustrating. I'm not going to lie. That's where I really like TV is because it just gets out there. Whereas YouTube, it's such a funny place because you have to get in the algorithms to get views. Um, whereas some videos I'll watch and I'll be like, oh, that wasn't even that good of a video, but it's got 2 million views. And then I'll go to another channel and I'll watch a video that popped up with way less views and it's amazing content. 
So the algorithm is a really funny thing. And I, I don't know if it's, I know you can pay to get your video out there. I'm not sure if that's kind of what they want you to do, but what I've learned and what I've heard and in, I've researched a bunch and looked at a, a million different things to try to grow our YouTube channel is regular posting. And, um, you know, with hunting, it can be hard because there is some graphic um, nature to it in some cases. And uh, YouTube isn't totally, I wouldn't say the best mm -hmm. place to have that content on there, but there's definitely YouTube channels that do really well. But uh, it seems like, I don't know, posting regularly once a week, um, if not more, and uh, having good titles, good thumbnails, there's a million things that can help. But I mean, it's, it's definitely a really tough platform to break through on. But once you break through, I think if you keep rolling with it, you can jump leaps and bounds in a hurry if you can get in that algorithm. Mm -hmm. Sheldon, I got to cut you off there again. Sorry, buddy. Um, I was just wondering, uh, to like the follow up on that, Mitchell, like I wasn't even specifically thinking of YouTube. Like, obviously you have like a wide array of like kind of a business experience in this realm too. Um, the YouTube insights very helpful too, but even like, I'm thinking you've talked about how you started to define your own style of like editing and shooting. Like, how would you describe your style of editing and shooting? I guess is what I'm wondering too it's i wouldn't say it's uh i'd say it's pretty basic um like my dad he doesn't have a ton of experience behind a camera and you really don't um it's more of uh just getting a lot of video getting video of animals is huge like that's what people that's what i like to see and it brings the story together um so as far as that question goes i'd say uh my style of editing would be um i, I it's actually shifted I used to edit to the point where it was like, I felt like it was really produced. Whereas in this new season, I've kind of ran it more raw. So it's kind of more natural. There's not a lot of, there's no loud music. It's more natural sounds, um, more talking. Um, it's kind of like, it's just more of a natural thing rather than an edited thing. And that's kind of like the direction I've been going. Um, I just feel like it's more enjoyable to watch and it's just more relaxing and it feels more in tune with being out in the outdoors. Um, that's kind of the direction I've been going, but I mean, everyone's to their own and everything, um, everyone has a different style and sometimes your styles change and you evolve. Um, I wouldn't say there's one style that's better than the other. It's just play around and um, you can get other people's opinions too. Like I like to edit and send it to a buddy and see what he thinks and he can give me some feedback. So if you're out there, you know, you got to start somewhere and, just give it a try and get some feedback on it. Yeah. The follow-up question to Tristan there too, and even just talking about editing, like what do you got for a team? Like obviously your dad and yourself are out there, you know, putting the boots on the ground. Do you got any more uh, team behind moment of truth uh, helping you guys out? Uh, so it started just dad and myself. And then uh, um, about four years ago, I met my girlfriend, Kayla, and she had never hunted before. And uh, it was funny because I wasn't, she, she loves animals as so do I, but She's a big pet friendly person and just loves her dogs to death. And I didn't think she would be into the hunting side of things, but it piqued her interest. And uh, she liked the idea of going out and harvesting an animal and then putting it on the table. So we went out there and gave it a try. And I mean, she was a natural. She loved everything about it. She liked waterfowl hunting and big game hunting. And so she's been helping along as well. So she'll go out each season and hopefully harvest a deer or two as well as come along on some waterfowl hunts. So other than that, and, and actually her dad's got more into hunting too. So, I mean, it's kind of just a family and friends ordeal that we have going on and that's how we've been rolling so far. 
Yeah. That's a, you know, pretty cool thing. Like even, you know, like at the end of the day, you're trying to make a, you know, basically have a job, right. And your job is to go out there and make videos and make content for people to enjoy. But then like, there's obviously something else to it where it's, you know, you're bringing more people into the, the outdoor world. And like, even for ourselves, I know, you know, people have said, Oh, I listened to the podcast and I shot my first moose because of it, you know? And like, you kind of get that, that kickback that you didn't really think that you'd have, um, for, for other people so that's pretty cool that your girlfriend got into hunting and uh that must be a pretty cool feeling yeah no that that's that uh it is a great feeling as well as when we go to shows and my favorite is when uh some youngsters come up and i feel like because i'm a younger person in the industry they can relate to me a little more and they tend to you know they like the content typically and it's really nice talking to them be and it's happened quite a bit where they got into bow hunting because of our videos and uh, it's you get that great warm fuzzy feeling and you hope to be a good role model to them and uh, hopefully inspire them to uh, pick up a stick and string or go out and outdoors and enjoy it as much as we do so um, mm. it's that's for me that's the most important thing and that's what keeps me going to want to keep producing content is stuff like that being able to experience people coming up and um, giving back that good feedback and you know that's what it's all about is growing uh growing the, the hunting community and the, the love for the outdoors yeah tristan do you have any more question about the production side of things if not then i'm going to shift gears here i just i just have one more and, it, and maybe that maybe it'll help us shift gears to just in the okay. sense that um Mitchell, I'm wondering too. I was going to ask you what your favorite episode was, but I'm I'm thinking now maybe is there is there anything that surprised you either with the the content you made or like how it related to viewers or anything like that? Like, was there one episode that maybe you thought was going to be okay and then just blew up, or was there was there any story that really sticks out in your mind as one that you know just kind of came out of left field in some ways? Yeah. So I'd say like my favorite episode is probably this season there's my uh, my dream was always to kill a big bull elk and in this new season coming out this fall on wild tv i i harvested my dream bull elk and the video was just amazing and i'd say that's probably going to be my favorite episode but one thing that has surprised us is um different uh ways of hunting so i'm really into bow hunting and that's kind of what i watch but what i've noticed is some of our better videos that on youtube are muzzleloader hunting videos. And I, I think it's just because it's a niche that uh, people are obviously uh, enjoy doing. And there's a lot of muzzleloader seasons out there. When you type in a muzzleloader uh, muzzle deer hunt, that video pops up. So that's something that surprised me is um, how well the muzzleloader videos have done and how they've actually exceeded our other videos and views. If you're listening to this episode, we know you love local and so do we. That's why we're going to encourage you to check out your local co-op. Co-op is in over 600 communities across Western Canada with over 2 million members. Co-ops are a member-driven organization that serve the local community. You can check out co-ops for all your food, fuel, home and construction, as well as agricultural needs. A membership costs you $10 to get in, and you're going to see that back in equity. You don't need a membership to shop at co-op but you'd be missing out on all the equity and most importantly your say and how that company runs. For groceries, if you want to shop online, you can check it out online at shop.crs and select markets. There's hundreds of local products sourced and packaged all across Western Canada. 
and even free cookies for children in store at the deli counter. If you're looking at a home and building experience, they have local experts available to help with any plans, large or small, and free home and garage blueprints available for online download. Their gas stations are not just a great place to stop for fuel, but also for snacks and a recharge. They're available all across Western Canada, voted the cleanest bathrooms, they have full service at most locations, and car washes at most locations. On the egg side, Co-op's been in the business since 1930 and has continued to lead the way in not just energy products needed for seeding, harvesting, and everything in between, but also in the growing inventory of high-quality products, including crop inputs and feed that Co-op manufactures and distributes. Co-op's private label production selection is growing every year, providing growers with the high-quality products they expect from the name they trust. Co-op also offers a range of fuel, lubricant, and propane products, and also provides farm buildings, grain bins, bulk fuel, fuel tanks, livestock equipment, fencing, and heaters. Wherever you are, be sure to check out your local co-op because they have it all. That's interesting, and it actually yeah, makes sense in my mind. Like, It almost like, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, it seems like archery like just started banging off, and then all of a sudden everyone's not saying everyone's doing it, but like this archery hunting is just like kind of really taken off in the last like 10 years. And if you do go look for anything on YouTube, there's a lot of archery content. So yeah, that muzzleloader content, there just must be uh, far and few between. Um, oh man, I had a, a pretty good, I thought a pretty good question for you before we start shifting gears. Tristan uh, opened up my brain a little bit. I can't remember it now, but anyways, let's kind of move on. I'm the one thing that we are kind of getting, oh, I'm getting kind of ramped up to be, get doing is scouting for whitetail. Um, from what I've kind of figured out watching your content is that you try to get your whitetail kind of maybe out of the way so you can get into the mule deer elk moose type deal. So obviously you're hunting earlier in the year when the season starts, but what's your like preseason very early um, scouting tactics? Like where do you, where do you, where does it start for you? Obviously like trail cams or, or how does that all start? Yeah, like I'll get into why I like hunting them early. It's definitely nice getting your whitetail out of the way um, to pursue other animals. But our, our whitetail season, you know, whitetails are our bread and butter. That's where we have close to the city. I mean, we're, we live in Edmonton, so the Edmonton Bow Zone produces some world-class deer. There's definitely abundance of them. But our season, our new season, I guess should I should say, starts every summer. Usually, you know, come July when they start having some de decent antler growth, um, we'll put some reveal cell cameras out in our spots. And one thing we really work hard at is gaining access to land that we feel like can produce big deer and has abundance of them. And it's really difficult. So I'd say we put in a lot of work during the summer months, trying to get new permission, regain our permission that we already have and really have some properties where we think that there's potential to have a good opportunity at a buck. Because, you know, you are only as good as the property you hunt in some cases. So we work really hard at getting good permission and it's really difficult, but uh, we've been able to acquire some pieces and have good relations with the landowners. Come July, we throw out some trail cameras, um, start gain, gaining in inventory and trail cameras for us haven't been everything. Um, it's amazing how a big deer can elude a trail camera and you go out there with your truck and you look through your burst optics and scope the field um, or fresh yellow canola coming up, maybe some fresh alfalfa and boom, oh my gosh, there's a buck that we've never seen before. So we kind of do a, a, a mix of both. I mean, trail cameras are great. They work 24 seven reveals are amazing. They send the picture to your phone. 
Um, you don't have to go in there and put any um, a little little stress on them. And then other than that, we just do a lot of um, glassing for them. And then once we kind of figure them out, we're seeing what's there. If there's a buck that piques our interest, uh, we already have a lot of tree stands set up in our spots. But if we have to set up new spot or if we learn learn something from the prior year where to put a tree stand or even if it's a new property um we look at eye hunter look at you know natural pinch points kind of go for a walk set up tree stands and the one thing that i really love about september and bow hunting is you can catch these bucks on their pre-season patterns um <laughs> a mature buck is so hard to catch up to and the one thing that they do do a lot of times is show themselves in the summer months that's the one time that they will come out a bit early and they'll kind of give you a read on where they're feeding and what they're doing and a lot of times you know they'll hit a certain field and work their way to another field and you you kind of figure out where their food sources are where their bedding is and you make a game plan and come September it's not guaranteed but a lot of times these deer they're still kind of on their summertime patterns and you might have one good crack at them where they're you know coming out a bit early and you you have that opportunity you get a chance and we found September's been great for us even the beginning part of October it can happen but as that season goes on and you get closer to November in that rut it just seems they can be so elusive. Mm -hmm. um, you did mention a few things there. I want to jump back to one of them was the, the iHunter app. We've, we've worked along with iHunter quite a bit throughout our um, podcasting days, but, uh, and it's one of the tools that we've been using since well, for like three or four years. Do you, do you use that quite a bit? Like, do you do a lot of like, uh, what is it? Tristy might have to help me with, uh, with this word, but like, uh, like online like scouting or whatever what is it called like digital oh, scouting yeah e-scouting or whatever they call e -scouting. it it's huge it's i've i'd say it's my most important tool in my arsenal when it comes to hunting on my phone by far it's by far my favorite hunting app it's such a great tool to use to scout and get new permissions so I'll, if I have a, an area that I'm interested in hunting, I'll download the county map, the land ownership map, and I'll look through properties and I'll mark a bunch that I want to hit and potentially ask for permissions. And it's been golden. I mean, it's if it's not in your arsenal right now, it's definitely I'd highly recommend it, not only for finding new properties, getting permission, but even when you're hunting, being able to mark trail cameras so you remember where they are, um, mark tree stands where you can slip in in the dark and find them. And uh, it's, it's an amazing tool. And this, and that's, and there's so many, um, Mark has done such an amazing job of innovating the app to where there's so much in the app that you can use to benefit your hunt. I'm just listing a couple that we use, but even when you're in the bush calling moose, you can really navigate the bush. And that's, that's huge. And it has features where, you know, it has the, your phone has the GPS. So if you're in the back country, and you need to find your way out of the bush. I mean, it's got you covered. It's just a, it's an amazing tool and amazing app. And uh, it's definitely something I couldn't hunt without. Just don't forget to cache your maps ahead of time. Cause yeah. if you're trying to load up your maps in the back country, you might run into a, a bit of a, exactly. Hiccup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, that I hunter map or I hunter app is amazing. Like we used it. We went moose hunting way up North on the Weir river. Tristan was there the year before me. And then I went the second year. Um, and a couple of things that I liked about it is just kind of like you said, like when you're in the bush and you're in a narrow little river and the banks are high, you don't know if there's a little open area and you start looking on your map, like, Hey, let's go over here. And then you go through the bush 10 yards and it's wide open, you know, and you can find some really cool spots, like right as you're hunting. So that's pretty cool. Like navigating the bush, like you said, 
And then the other thing was I wanted to maybe ask you about is getting permissions. I know for us in Manitoba, we have a lot of private land. Getting permissions can get difficult, especially when you have a lot of hunting pressure. But my question for you would be like retaining permissions. Like is there tricks or tips for new hunters or even our, our you know, older hunters that are trying to keep that land to themselves? Like, is there anything that you do? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, that's the thing with private permissions is they're always evolving. So, you know, a lot of times the permissions that we have, they sell or get new ownerships, and it is hard to maintain a property, but we've had properties where I've hunted my entire life bow hunting. And the biggest thing is just being really respectful of the land. Um, They're really gracious to allow you to go on there in the first place. So it's something that I don't take for granted. And uh, I make sure that's known. I really, um, I give thanks to the landowner. And, you know, after each season, if we find success, I'll bring them some pepperoni and jerky if they want it, Um, maybe a moose or deer roast, and then um, maybe just a small gift just to show your appreciation. And it can go a long ways. Um, I've heard stories where people have permission and they just, ask once go in and hunt a bunch and then talk to them almost like once a year whereas you know I like to keep in contact with them and you know we've grown relations with some landowners that we hunt on we're they're almost friends now so um that's a big thing I think is just being respectful and gracious that they let you on there and appreciate uh their their generosity yeah and like even the the fact of um landowners can be like almost a little scouting tool too Uh, A lot of those guys and women that are farming are out in the land and, you know, cultivating, seeding, doing whatever. And they, you know, I seen a, you know, good moose over there. I seen a good elk over there. And they see, you know, if you keep in contact with them throughout the year, they seem to always want to help you out too. So another good one. I, and I, I was wondering there, Mitchell, if you've had to adapt because it's happened to us before and we haven't adapted very well, but um, you know, like when a farmer might switch a crop on you, or something like, or not on you, but just switch a crop in general to something that's not very productive for, for whitetails or elk or whatever you're hunting. I'm, I'm imagining you hunt mainly, you're targeting mainly whitetails when you're hunting crop like that, but. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, we're just, uh, for mule deer, we do spawn stock for elk. I mean, we're hunting in farmland, but it's more so just catching them going back and forth. But for adaption, I'd say the biggest adapting that we've had to do is when the landowner uh gains access to allows another hunter in there um sometimes there'll be a stand pop-up kind of near ours or um there's just added pressure and that can make things more difficult so we've learned to adapt um to be able to communicate with other hunters um figure out a game plan and how we're going to do it and that's i guess that's the major adaptation that we've had to learn um is just you know if they it's not your land so at the end of the day the landowner has their say in it so if there's two of you in there you got to work together and figure out a game plan that's going to work for the both of you and as far as crops go i mean we've had it where we've had deer coming out into the field every night we're so excited to hunt and then he either cuts or plows the crop and then they stop feeding in there and then you know you kind of have to figure it out where where their next food source is going to be um for us it's more so just having multiple different spots where you always have a plan B or C or D. Yeah. What about water? Do you ever use water, uh, water sources in your plans? Yeah, that's it. You know, we have like, it's definitely not something that we key in on. Um, if there's a property with some water and we notice that, you know, maybe they're, um, for instance, in our one spot, we're kind of in between, like there's a bedding piece, um, to the West there's water and to the East there's food source. 
So they kind of bed in the middle, they'll go to west to get water, and then they'll go back through their bedding east to get to the food. And for years, we sat on the food and had great success. Um, but at one point, we had a tree stand on the west side, um, getting them going to water. We noticed that they're going to water quite often. So it's definitely a, it's an, an avenue of hunting that you can hunt that. For us, we, we really like uh, food sources, but that's a source of uh, where they will go to travel and that's a great place to hunt if you can kind of narrow it down where they're going but other than that it's kind of tough to, to predict when they're going to drink sometimes it's right after bedding sometimes I'm sure it's after feeding so mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask you Mitchell you, you get the you get a deer you've patterned it early season and you you get some success like even in Manitoba here you can poke one like I think archery normally opens like end of august yeah do, do you take your deer into like a, a butcher at that point or like what are you what are you doing with the the meat uh, with the august deer probably velvet still on the head kind of thing right yeah i mean um we, we usually try to get to the butcher as soon as possible so um you know if you make a good shot and he goes down right away um, you got the animal, take them home, skin them right away. The biggest thing is getting that hide off. That's what holds in all the heat and can potentially let that meat spoil. And then for the most part, it usually cools off enough overnight where if you hang them, skin them and uh, get them to the butcher the next day, um, you're good to go. Where some people really like hanging and aging their meat. That's not something that we've ever done. Um, we usually like just to process it right away. If we, um, we usually debone it ourselves and then bring the meat in to the butcher to get everything, um, you know, assorted into pepperoni, jerky, um, a lot of ground deer, a lot of ground venison. And uh, other than that, you know, sometimes we brought in uh, moose, moose quarters and stuff right away. It's just the main thing is we eat a lot of wild game and preserving that meat is everything. And then, you know, secondary is the trophy, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then around muzzleloader, you know, I wanted to ask just uh, what that kind of looked like for you. What uh, what muzzleloader do you shoot right now? So right now we have a Thompson Center. Um, it's a pro hunter. And we, we used to have a traditions um, muzzleloader. So mm-hmm. um, I find the pro hunter, it's a bit of an upgrade. We um, It's a bit higher price point. And it's definitely has some really nice features. It's a nice gun. And, uh, you know, it's muzzleloaders, muzzleloaders, season is something that we look forward to every year we're really lucky in the Edmonton bow zone here we're in two counties you're allowed to get an extra buck tag um, with a muzzleloader Um, there's a primitive weapon season so whether you use bow shotgun or muzzleloader you get that extra buck tag which is huge for us because if I tag out the beginning of September I have an opportunity come October 25th to chase another buck and uh, create another episode and another story and same with dad and Kaylin. So we're really fortunate to have that season. So that's kind of where the muzzleloader hunting came into play. And it's their finicky gun. And there's a lot to learn to them and to get them to be accurate and consistent. But we've been able to kind of narrow it down over the years where, you know, you can reach out to 150 yards pretty, pretty easily. And it's a really fun hunt. Yeah. Talking about hunting and it's because this is what you do for this is what you do for a living and i'm very interested because when you watch these shows if it's yours or anybody else's out there you get a 22 minute highlight reel of the day or it might be the month right or whatever season that may be when i get into like bow hunting i get into going you know a few hours in the morning a few hours at night and that's my, my limited time what does a day for you look like 
let's say an archery whitetail season like when it's your job yeah so i i'd say it, it looks very similar to yours it's just the time that we're able to put into it as far as repetitive days so we hunt every day um, we'll go out you know what for whitetails i'm not a big fan of hunting them in the morning just because usually they're already they're already out and they're going back to their bedding. So it can be, in, depending on the spot, it can be really difficult to get in there without spooking them. So honestly, early September when we're whitetail hunting, we might go out in the morning to kind of scout and maybe see where a buck's going into bed. But for the most part, we're just doing evening hunts, getting in around, you know, they're long days. So it gets dark around 9, 9.30 and we get in around 5 and do a couple hours sit. And you know what, in the morning, if we have a waterfowl shoot spotted, that's great. We'll go out and hunt waterfowl, but it's more so just trying to get in as much hunting as possible without, um, you know, pressuring the animals to the point where you, they go completely nocturnal. So, um, as far as that goes, it's pretty similar, really. It's just, we were able to put in the time with days we get a hunt every day mm-hmm. you, you mentioned something there about pressuring animals and like that's one thing that i've always been told is like you got to put in your time if you put in time you'll you'll be successful and it's like you know for me like i'll take some time off and it seems like i'm always hunting that same one or two stands every night where i'm like man i gotta let this place rest for a bit i think i've i've speak, i think there's just like this this uh fine line that you gotta kind of manage do you find that when you're hunting out uh, archery or are you hitting that same tree stand where you know that buck might come through? Absolutely. Yeah. So if we have a, a singular deer targeted um, one giant buck that we're chasing that we really want to focus our efforts on um, there is going to be nights where we want to hunt, but we just don't because either the wind isn't right. Um, the conditions aren't right. It's uh, it's putting in as much time as you can, but at the right time. Um, so, you know, if you, if you go in on a bad wind and risk bumping them, I mean, these, these mature bucks, you, you usually get one good chance at them if you're lucky. And so, you know, when the wind's right and you feel like that buck, you have a chance at killing that buck, you got to go in there. And ideally, you know, it happens within the first few sits, but, you know, sometimes you do have to grind it out. But, you know, don't be afraid to hunt a lot in the same tree stand if the conditions are right, because you're giving yourself a good opportunity to get that buck. But, you know, having a good entrance and exit route is huge too, because a lot of times you can get up to that stand and there's other, not, you're not just worried about, you're trying to kill that specific buck, but there's other deer in the area that live there that can bump you, bust you too. And then they get accustomed to you being there. And, you know, we, we have one spot where there's a doe that physically walks to both our tree stands, looks to make sure we're not in there and then goes by. And if we're in there, she busts us every time. So it's amazing how these deer can figure things out and uh, kind of peg you. So yeah, it's it's putting in as much time as you can at the right times. Mitchell, I'm wondering too, like how many stands do you run in the fall? Would you say, I, Sheldon, who are we talking to where they had just like an absolutely obscene amount of stands? I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. So like for us, we have to set up two tree stands. So a lot of times we do two hang on tree stands. Um, mine will be a touch lower than my dad's. And so he can film kind of ideally film me in relation to the deer uh, when they come out. So we have a, over the years, we've been able to accumulate a lot of tree stands. So every year we add a few to our arsenal. I wouldn't be surprised if we have over 20 sets out there. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, each property, we might have two or three different location, tree stand locations on it. And we have 
quite a few properties we've been able to build up over the years. So there's, mm-hmm. we definitely have a lot of options, which is huge because depending on the wind, um, whether there's a shooter buck there, cause sometimes, you know, you set up a trail camera and that property just doesn't have a shooter buck this year. It's nice to have those options. And that's been a huge factor in our success is being able to have different places to go and uh, always having a backup plan. Yeah, like speaking of backup plans, I wonder if this would kind of be it. Do you kind of set your stands up and like, let's try to get a north wind stand and a south wind stand and a west wind stand on this property or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. That's huge, especially if uh, you're hunting a specific buck and you don't really have interest in shooting another deer that year. Um, it's you need to have different stand locations, and it's not always plausible. The one property we hunted, uh, we were hunting a 200 inch buck. And it was only 40 acres. So we only were able to have one tree stand location and we only were able to hunt it on one specific wind. But if the property allows you to have um, different stand locations for different wind directions, that's huge. I mean, it gives you different options depending on the day and uh, depending on what that deer is doing. They don't always do the same thing. So it's been nice to be able to kind of adapt on the same property. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I wish, uh, I wish I had a little bit more time to put in hanging stands. It seems like I barely squeak in scouting these days with the, with the young family, but, uh, it, it gets busy for sure, but it's got to be excited here. Just thinking about heading out back in August again now. So, you know, I was also kind of just thinking like when you're, when you're bow hunting, have you, have you taken any of those mule deer skills across over to the, the whitetail realm? I know, my brother recently tried to stalk a few whitetail and uh, uh, was not successful, but he did stalk a turkey this spring. I'll give him credit for that. Um, somehow he's talked to turkey. <laughs> That's awesome. Because you know what? Turkeys have wicked eyesight too. I didn't realize that. We did this kind of uh, turkey on northern Alberta. And man, these things got eagle eyes. They were, uh, we, we were trying to sneak up to it from behind and this thing spotted us and took off like a bullet but as far as you know stalking a whitetail is not an easy task I mean they're just they're always on such edge you typically and they have really good senses I, I I've never been able to get within range of a whitetail spawn stalk and I've never really tried um, it's more so just hunting them from a standard ground blind getting them coming out to a food source or if you're if you're hunting during the rut maybe on a cut line but yeah that's it's definitely probably doable it just mm-hmm. probably it's a lot harder than probably a mule deer mm-hmm. yeah you and clearly you've had luck from the tree stand so <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know if i'd be messing with that formula too much for sure yeah no the tree stand getting up out of their their line of sight but it's amazing how whitetails have adapted to look up it's you know they'll they'll be walking by the smell and they'll know exactly where that scent is coming from but yeah would, no they're would you have any advice for someone let's say who has maybe like seen one of the larger animals in their their hunting career and and drawn back on them and used the wrong pin when when archery hunting and just completely sent this arrow over their back <laughs> yeah i don't know if i i shouldn't even be one to talk I, you know i shoot a lot of 3d archery so i'm i try to get really proficient with my equipment because i feel like you put in so much work to get the opportunity it's so important to be in tune with your equipment and try to make that opportunity count but on the biggest whitetail we ever hunted unfortunately i uh i rushed my shot a bit because i burped him and i hit him a little low and forward and end up never finding him and i got zero penetration hit him in the shoulder and he actually ended up living for the rest of that season and uh you know the biggest thing is learning from your mistakes 
Um, since I've done that, I haven't missed. And I've made some incredible shots out to 70 yards on a mule deer. And one thing I've, I took away from such a heartbreak and just terrible failure on my part, I felt like, um, is I learned from the mistake. Now when I come to full draw, I take my time a little more and being able to learn from your mistakes is huge. I mean, nobody's perfect. <laughs> I wish, I wish we were because, you know, I'd, I'd have some giant deer on my wall that I've uh, bummed up the opportunities on, but learning from your mistakes is just everything being able to adapt and put it to use on your next time. I'm not too sure if Tristan was uh, taking a poke at me or chase or himself or <laughs> any one of <laughs> yeah, our friends. Or... I, I guess, I, <laughs> I guess that's a fair Sounds assumption. Like um but it's actually it makes me think about uh kind of back to that production part of uh your job has there been many times where you look or whatever your dad's like don't shoot yeah don't shoot and then you don't actually harvest anything because that that camera shot's not there yeah um that's a good question for us like for what we're doing it's it's definitely film before kill just because it's so important to get that uh that kill shot on video and you know it's the element of the hunt that i really strive we strive to do a good job at and uh i i feel like if i missed the opportunity and it wasn't on film or if i shot him and it wasn't on film um i i wouldn't be as you know you'd be slightly disappointed so i'd rather see that animal live another day and have the pursuit go on on if we couldn't get on video but i don't think it's ever happened to us where i'm like i haven't been able to get a shot because it wasn't on video we've been fortunate in that aspect but if it definitely came down to that point um i wouldn't i wouldn't shoot i would definitely wait for um, maybe another opportunity for him to come into frame yeah talking with uh like richie and cody i think there's been quite a few times they've gotten a few arguments that the one shot was there but the other one wasn't so it's kind of funny i mean uh we don't film our hunts or anything but i could understand the frustration for sure the other thing about filming hunts do you ever or do you have a hunt or maybe um an activity or whatever where you just leave the cameras at home and it's kind of like your time to just go and let your hair down and go enjoy enjoy it without working yeah you bet and you know what i used to always kind of want to do that i felt like you know i just want to go out and just sit and not film and worry about any of that and hunt but i've kind of grown out of that because i i really enjoy that aspect of it so um, I really like bringing the camera along on all of our hunts, but you know what? The odd waterfowl hunt, um, we might leave the camera behind, but it hasn't happened for years. The one activity that we do enjoy um, after season that I, we don't really film much is ice fishing. I really enjoy ice fishing, getting out on that hard water, um, going after perch, big walleye or big pike. And typically we'll leave the camera home. And if the fishing's really good, I mean, this year we did some filming on the ice and last year. So we've been trying to incorporate kind of one ice fishing episode each year now. So, um, but for the most part, the first couple of trips, there's no camera. It's just get out, you know, enjoy, enjoy some fishing together and uh, have a good time. Mm. I know um, my next question is going to be one of my last ones. I don't want to take up all your time tonight. I guess it's like kind of, I, I already know what your answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask you anyways, but do you ever have at that time uh, when you're like, oh man, this is a job. This is a job. This isn't fun anymore. Like, is there ever, ever those times that that crosses your mind? I mean, I've got um, a lot of friends in the industry where like guiding and stuff of like that. And they're, they're like, ah, oh, it's a, it's a job now. He's like, I used to have a huge passion for it. Now it's fading away. Like, do you ever, do you ever find that? 
You know what? I don't think I, in the first few years, it was um, a lot of work and there wasn't, you know, it wasn't a job at that point because there wasn't, we didn't really have much for sponsorships. We were just paying the bills essentially to be on air. Um, so then it was like, at that point, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. Like it's, you know, you, you doubt starts to creep in a little bit, of course, because it is really hard to um, make a living in the outdoor industry. Cause you got to, you know, have good content and sell advertisement is everything, your sponsorships, right. And your relationships with your sponsors. So there was definitely a few years where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just hope we can improve and just keep rolling with it. Um, in the last two years, we've been pretty fortunate where we've um, seen some good growth and we're getting to the point where it has become my full-time job. So now um, I definitely see it as a job. Whereas when we're going filming, um, I'm really dedicated to the filming aspect and making the story and the editing and stuff, but I love every aspect of it. So no, I would say I haven't got, uh, I don't, it hasn't taken away the fun. If anything, it's made it more fun for me. And uh, I really like putting the story together on uh, like edit. I like every aspect of it. So um, now that it's become something, um, I love it. It's really great. But there were some years of doubt because you know anything good takes time it's a at the end of the day it is you know you're trying to make a living of it and you know in today's society you know um things are expensive and you you stress about things because you know life you need find you need to be financially stable so um there was definitely a couple years of doubt but you know we've kind of persevered and worked through that and um we worked hard and we're finally starting to get somewhere and by no means is it glorious, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. That's pretty deadly. Mitchell, I'm going to ask you a couple here, one about other folks and then one about yourself moving forward. But, uh, you, you mentioned earlier too, like just the array of different outdoor media out there and, the, all the different styles that you can kind of look to, like, is, is there someone else you're aware of that's doing something pretty cool now? that you, you enjoy, you said you consume, I consume a lot of outdoor content too. So like, is there, is there someone that's doing something cool? Maybe not the same as you, but something that, you know, if you were to finish a hunt and want to put your feet up and, you know, like, and not watch your own videos, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what would you look to? Yeah. I'm trying to think for me, I really like watching content that I can relate to. So, you know, like I, if, uh, if I'm watching, on wild tv I'll, I'll watch some of the local shows like there's some you know in canada there's some great shows i mean that produce good content that you know your average joe can relate to kind of what we strive to do so i like watching content like that and then if i'm on youtube i'll just search up uh say if i'm getting ready to go on alberta mule deer hunt i'll search that up spot and stock and it kind of you know it gets you excited for the hunt and that's kind of what we strive to do is for people to have that same feeling because that's mm. what I like to watch so as far as anyone out there that's kind of doing something cool I don't know I, I there's a lot of great shows and we have some great friends in the industry that I feel like put up good stuff too so um, awesome. yeah it's it's more so just watching stuff that I can relate to cool that's a reflective answer I appreciate that one and I'm wondering too then obviously moment of truth has a bit of a pedigree to it now it's got momentum it's it's become a a thing unto itself here and what are, what are you hoping for for moment of truth going into the future here you just dropped your your latest season here but like what what do you what are you hoping for going forward with moment of truth you know what what i uh what i hope for in the future is kind of the same progression as what we're on now where it's just a gradual increase 
and improvement each year. And that's just our main goal is just to keep improve, trying to improve each year. I know there's going to be, we've been super fortunate on the filming and hunting aspect of it where we haven't really had a tough year where we, we have had tough years, but we found success. And I know there's going to be a year where it's like, oh my gosh, we're struggling to meet uh, fill episodes and stuff. But uh, I think that's all part of the journey. And what I've, uh, it's funny, like when I, I was always so concerned about the future. Um, now that we're seven seasons into filming our eighth season, I've kind of learned to enjoy, like the journey is everything. Because you don't really, you're so stressed about in this current situation and trying to build it up. You know, that's everything. Like, when, you got to appreciate the moment. So right now, I'm just appreciating the current moment and looking forward to the future and trying to just do a lot of the same and have gradual improvement. And maybe just keep, you know, adding different aspects, keeping things fresh, adding something new each year. That sounds pr- pretty, yeah, pretty relatable in some ways, I would say, too. <laughs> yeah, you bet. And where can everyone find you other than like, obviously you want to just maybe give yourself a quick plug. Like where can we find your TV show? What time, uh, social media, anything like that? Yeah. So we're, uh, our main network, we're on wild TV and we are four to five times a week all year. Um, our air times vary, but our, the big thing is our new season season seven is coming out to air at the end of September this year. And for me, I feel like it's by far our best season yet. Some of our best content and some of our best stories all put together in some great episodes. So I'm really excited to share that. But other than that, you can follow our day-to-day stuff on Instagram at, at Mitchell Payment. And then our Facebook is Mitchell Payments Moment of Truth TV. And that's kind of where we do a lot of posts of our what's, what we're doing currently and uh, what we have in store in the future. And as far as our social media handles, I think that, that's about it. Nice. And just give us like i know you've kind of let the cat out of the bag about the the elk hunt uh on this season coming up uh even at the outdoor show you're talking about it there i'm not uh, watching now <laughs> what uh is there anything else that we can look forward to for this season like uh white tail mule deer is anything not let's say regular for your for your program you know what i wouldn't say there's anything irregular although i was able the last two years i've been able to fill all four of my archery tags, which I'm super proud of. But in this new season, besides, it was just really a dream season. I, I harvested a 365-inch bull elk with my bow, a 180-inch whitetail with my bow, a beautiful bull moose with my bow, a mule deer with my bow, where I made an incredible far shot after a grind of a hunt, and then 170-some-inch whitetail with my muzzleloader. So it was just one of those seasons where wow. everything that I could have dreamed of came true. And then, you know, with dad and Kaylin, we had some incredible hunts too. So um, overall, it was just a dream season and one that's going to be really tough to uh, match or top, but it's going to be fun trying. Awesome. Tristan, you got any final thoughts, final words for Mitchell? Uh, you know, I just say like, thanks coming on the podcast. It's, it's nice to get a little energy back into my own soul around <laughs> around hunting and, and and thinking it's possible to get out there and get me in early season deer and also just like really love just connecting with uh content creators and folks who are really it's it seems like you're you're in it for i don't say the right reasons because everyone's got their reasons for being in it mitchell but like to, to hear your perspective on just 
really prioritizing being out there and enjoying the whole process like helps kind of just put things in perspective i think for a lot of folks and like not to take some of the stress away from that end result in, in some ways and really prioritize just uh what we hopefully should all be out there for is, is just enjoying being out there right absolutely yeah thanks so much for having me and yeah it's everything like for us the hunt, hunting is something we would do no matter what and uh, being able to share our hunting adventures is uh, something that I'm very grateful that we're able to do. And, uh, you know, some of my greatest experiences in life have truly been in the outdoors. And it's something that I don't take for granted. I'm, I don't know some of the being out there and watching a hundred, hundred uh, herd of a hundred elk go through the field bugling and stuff with my dad or watching my girlfriend drop a buck at 150 yards. It's just, those are memories and um, experiences that, I, we wouldn't have if it wasn't for hunting. So yeah, hopefully we're able to share that in our seasons and show that, you know, our true passion and, and uh, hopefully people enjoy it. So thanks so much for having me. It's always great talking hunting and uh, I'm glad I was be able to come on here. Yeah, for sure. And my final thought would be, yeah, again, like we, uh, like I said, in the kind of the first few seconds there, we kind of uh, met there at the York outdoor show. You're very nice to, to jump on the podcast. Um, and like for anybody that's listening to this episode, like you can, like Mitch said, you can find his, his program, but well, the one I'll give you a little bit of feedback from myself. My personal opinion is that, you know, when you can watch a father and son go out there and, and do things where it's not high fence and it's not all like, just kind of like almost predetermined on what you're going to shoot that you've been, it's, it's very, very natural. And like everything that we, we kind of do out here, um, in Manitoba is like kind of what you guys do out there in, in out West. So anybody that's listening to this podcast, make sure you check out Mitchell's stuff. It's really great. Um, thanks again for having, for, for coming on. I hope we can get you on again in the future and you know, I don't know when in the future, but there's a lot more things that I'd like to talk about when it comes to like whitetail baiting and bear hunting and a lot of things that you're doing that we'd love to touch base with you in the future. But until then, um, stay safe out there and shoot straight. Thank you so much. Take care. Happy hunting. All right. I want to thank Mitchell again for hopping on the podcast. Like I said before, it was great to just connect with Mitchell, get his perspective and also hear his story about like coming up and into the, uh, the hunting industry. Uh, really exciting to see like he's, he's still as, as far as we can tell here, we're, I think we got a few years on Mitchell is what I'm saying. He's still early in the game here. <laughs> he's uh He's got some spry energy to him too. So we're, we're wishing him all the, the success and can't wait for a moment of truth to, to continue to showcase just some amazing hunting opportunities across Canada. April, just want to do a, a quick check-in here, see if there's anything on the on the storefront that we should be aware of. Yeah, we, we have a restock of our two kind of like signature hats. So the, the black and gray hat with the uh, circle panoramic logo, and then we have that um, leather patch on a black hat and those are both truckers so we had a full you know restock of those so i got lots of those i've got lots of catch and cook and some uh the black and green buffs lots of that stuff and and then you know just different sizing here and there of your summer clothing and we you know maybe maybe watch the social media because there may or may not be a little something that's going to come down the pipe in regards to the store so keep your eyes peeled for that yeah cool 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 exciting exciting to see that uh the stores get in some energy again and mm -hmm. uh looking forward to that 
and if there's nothing else and if we don't see you on the woods in the woods or in the water i'll wish you good luck out there and remind you to keep an edge on your knife uh, keep those kayaks straight and uh, keep them rods in the locker don't, don't let those tips hang out it's gonna cost you in the end all right folks thanks for listening we'll see you down the trail